the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. The media is overwrought with claims that July 4th was the hottest day on record since at least 1979. Additionally, we are told that it may have been one of the hottest days on Earth in about 125,000 years. This, of course, is claimed to be caused by human-induced climate change. But are such extravagant claims based on solid science? Perhaps unsurprisingly, it turns out that the concept of a global average temperature is misleading, and that the temperature measurements being used are nowhere near reliable enough to make such a claim. My guest today is Dr. Patrick Moore and he will be speaking with us about what the temperature record really tells us and why these claims are entirely misleading. I'll be filling in for Tom this week as he's in on holidays. Dr. Patrick Moore has been a leader in the international environmental field for over 30 years. With a PhD in ecology from the University of British Columbia, Dr. Moore is a founding member of Greenpeace and served for nine years as president of Greenpeace Canada and seven years as a director of Greenpeace International. Dr. Moore left Greenpeace when he realized that they had been taken over by extreme leftists, more interested in imposing a Marxist ideology on the West than in protecting the environment. In contrast to today's Greenpeace, Dr. Moore is a practical environmentalist, bringing real science and common sense to the energy and environmental debate. So welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, for sure. I know you were on a couple of years ago with Tom and Jay, and it was a great interview, so we're glad to have you back again. Well, lots happened since then, like the hottest day of the history of the world, apparently. Uh, that is what they claimed. It wasn't just the hottest day in 20 years or the hottest day in 120,000 years, but it was apparently the hottest day in the history of the world which is a completely ridiculous claim, seeing as though the world was actually a molten ball of rock uh, when it was formed uh, Mm -hmm. 4.6 billion years ago. And this whole thing about hottest day and hottest year and hottest earth is so crazy because we're actually in the Pleistocene Ice Age. That is the name of the period of time that we are in now. And it is actually colder now than it has been for most of the history of the world. That's why there's all that ice on the poles. Uh, It didn't used to be there for 200 million years before now. There was no ice on either pole. And you go back 50 million years to the Eocene thermal maximum, as it is known, and it's well known. I mean, there's no question of it. That was the, the warmest period in the past maybe 500 million years. And it's called the Eocene Thermal Maximum for a reason, because it was the hottest period. And since then, for 50 million years, the Earth has been cooling in fits and starts with a few upticks, but mostly downticks. And so you've got that, which there's no question that this is a cold period in Earth's history called the Pleistocene Ice Age. I don't know how people have managed to forget that we've known about it for a long long time uh that through the ice core uh drilling in antarctica for example that was way back in the 70s and 80s we learned 
the history of the temperature of the earth going back about 800,000 years. And we know for a fact that, and the reason the ice is there to record that record in little gas bubbles that give us oxygen and carbon, things like that, going back, we know what the temperature was. And this thing about 140,000 years or 120,000 years, whatever they're saying is, they're going back to the Eemian interglacial period. We're in the Holocene interglacial period now. There have been about 40 or perhaps a few more glacial maximums in the Pleistocene Ice Age. So when people say the last Ice Age, they mean the most recent glacial maximum in the Pleistocene Ice Age, of which there were 40 or more. So it gets it gets really complicated really fast. And it, you know, it takes maybe five minutes to talk about it instead of three seconds. Hottest year in the world. You know, that that's all you have to say is the hottest year in the world. And that's what they're saying now. And they are lying because there is the truth. The truth is this is a very cold period in the history of the earth called the Pleistocene Ice Age. The Ice Age before this one was called the Karoo, K-A-R-O-O. Look it up. You will see that it ended about 250 million years ago, began about 350 million years ago. That means that Ice Age was 100 million years, the Karoo Ice Age. It coincided with the Carboniferous period when trees began to evolve uh, and when coal uh, was created in vast quantities during the period between 350 and 250 million years ago. That was a a warm period going into a very cold period. And then it came out again. And for 250 million years after that, there was no ice on either pole for 250 million years. So you, you, you asked me the question, I'm sorry the answer is so long, but it could be much longer. It's, it takes quite a while to describe the last 350 million years of right. uh, planning planetary temperature. But the truth is, the reason there's so much ice on the Arctic and the, and, and the Antarctic today is because we are in an ice age. And mm-hmm. this is an interglacial period within the ice age, which has now lasted since the ice age began to end 20,000 years ago. So that's not very long. And now we came into the Holocene interglacial period about 10,000 years ago, and we're still in it. Although Mm -hmm. uh, this is not the warmest it's been, even in this interglacial period, the three previous interglacial periods were definitely warmer than this one, the Eemian and on back. I, 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 I have the names in my head somewhere. We've only named about back about four interglacial periods because there were 40 of them during this Pleistocene Ice Age. There you go. That's a start anyways. Right. So it sounds like the the temperature so-called records that are being set now are really nothing in comparison to in the history of the Earth. In terms of the scientists who've been saying that it's the hottest day since at least 1979, is there any validity in that? No, there is none. Uh, in fact, the 1930s were warmer than today. 
that was a very warm period. You know, a few degrees. I mean, we're talking about one or two degrees here. This is one of the other most ridiculous aspects of the claim that we're all going to die from global warming is that they're saying another half degree Celsius is going to kill us all. That that appears to be what they're saying. I've, I've looked at it quite a few times. And they are saying that we've already gone up one degree Celsius since 1600. That's 423 years to date. Uh, mm. One degree Celsius. And now there is a climate catastrophe, uh, a climate emergency, a climate crisis. All three of those things are bandied about, meaning exactly the same thing, I suppose, which is to scare the pants off you. Mm. Uh, but, but half a degree is less than the difference between New York and Washington, D.C., less than the difference between Vancouver and Seattle, practically. <laughs> it, it makes no sense to say that half a degree is going to kill the world. It, yeah, for sure. But they're saying that, and we're supposed to believe them. Mm -hmm. People have absolutely no scientific basis for any of it. And right. when, you look, when you look at the characters that are claiming these things it's john Kerry and al gore and thunberg lovely little thing she is mm -hmm. but none of them have any science background and yet they are purporting to be experts on this subject and you know another half degree will be the tipping point where the whole world will come to an end and especially all of the bad people who are doing these things so one of my rules is anybody who calls carbon dioxide carbon should be immediately dis disqualified from the discussion. That would be like calling w water hydrogen because mm -hmm. it's hydrogen H2O, you know. And so immediately dis disregard anybody who says carbon when they mean carbon dioxide because scientists are generally more specific than that when discussing mo molecules and atoms and things like that. You can't just say carbon and mean carbon dioxide. It's not right. Yeah, for sure. They're totally different, totally different substances. And uh, carbon dioxide isn't, isn't a pollutant. It's essential for life. So looking at carbon dioxide, actually, how have temperatures and carbon dioxide actually been correlated in the historical climate record? Is there any uh, significant correlation between those? There are periods where they are correlated, uh, in other words, up and down together, uh, but there are more periods where they're not, especially the period lasting from 250 to 50 million years ago. Uh, so that's 150 million years or so when they were exact opposite. And if you look at the long term history, let's say go back half a billion years, 500 million years. That's f far enough to sort of get a picture. And during that period, CO2 and temperature were opposite each other more often than they were in coordination with each other. Okay. But that, that doesn't happen in a cause-effect relationship. Cause-effect relationships are usually fairly steady. Uh, they don't go away. So you can say that, for example, uh, the relationship between the movement of the moon and sun versus the tides uh, of the sea, they are never out of sync. It just doesn't happen. They're always 
according to the gravitational effects of the moon and the sun, the tides go in and out mm-hmm. all around the world forever. Yeah. And CO2 and temperature do not have that kind of relationship. As a matter of fact, the, the pattern through history is that temperature goes up and down. It, there's cold periods and warm periods, cold periods and warm periods. There's more warm periods than there are cold periods, and we're in a cold period now. Mm-hmm. Whereas CO2 has been pretty steadily going downward. And that is another really important aspect of this whole discussion, which is completely ignored, is that CO2 was half a billion years ago, 500 million years ago, CO2 was about 6,000 parts per million in the global atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Today, it is 425 or so because we've made it go up from 280. And before that, at the most recent glacial maximum, some people call it the last ice age, but it wasn't the last ice age. It was the most recent glacial maximum that CO2 went down to 180 parts per million. And that's the lowest we know it's been in the whole history of the earth. So CO2 has been a steady downward curve, whereas temperature has gone up and down. And we are now in a relatively down period, although it's an interglacial in between the glacial maximums. Mm. But it's still a cold period. And you know that because of all the ice on the poles. If you look at the ice on the Arctic in the winter, in our winter, in the North Hemisphere, it covers the entire Arctic Ocean. There isn't a square millimeter of the Arctic Ocean that isn't covered in ice. They never show you that. They show you the summer ice, which where about half the Arctic Ocean is covered in ice. It never goes away. They say it is going away. So these are the, the difference between the state of affairs today and a prediction for the future. And... They they give uh, New York Yankees catcher Yogi Berra from back in the 30s, they give him the credit for saying this, but it was actually Niels Bohr who won the Nobel Prize in physics back in the 1800s, who said predictions are difficult, especially about the future, which is very funny and also true. So yes. it's one of the greatest maxims that's ever been realized by a human being and very short and pithy, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. And Mm -hmm. the reason the future is difficult to predict has been stated by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who go along with this whole climate emergency scenario. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, deep into their large volumes, they have said twice. I don't know how it got repeated, but somebody must have said, hey, we shouldn't bury this. We should say this again because it's true. And what they basically said was, because the global climate is multifactorial, in other words, there are many factors involved in creating the global climate, Mm -hmm. clouds, sun and water and vegetation and all the things that make up the earth's climate. Mm -hmm. There's many of them. They are non-linear. In other words, they're not straight-line relationships as a rule. They they are complicated in their expression. And the most important 
chaotic. The climate is chaotic. The word chaotic might as well be defined as unpredictable. And so if you accept that the global climate is chaotic, multivariant, and uh, nonlinear, you would also have to agree that it cannot be predicted into the future, no matter what, not with a computer model, not with the smartest person with IQ 190 or, or whatever. There's no way you can predict the future climate because it's impossible to do so by definition. And so this might be a starting point in a rational discussion of climate and climate change that we can look at the past and do our best at trying to understand why things happened the way they did, but we can't predict the future. It's yeah, like sure. one way I put it is the crystal ball is actually a mythical object. Mm -hmm. It's not a true thing. There is nobody with a crystal ball that can predict the future accurately. Right. And the same is true of, of the climate. It cannot be predicted accurately into the future. So let we should just forget about that part and, and start looking at what's actually happening now and accept the fact that this is a cold period in Earth's history, not a warm period in Earth's history, and that carbon dioxide had gone down to one of the lowest levels, perhaps the lowest level, almost certainly the lowest level in the history of the Earth during the most recent glacial maximum 20,000 years ago when it sank to 180 parts per million, which is only 30 parts per million above the death of plants. Oh, the death of plants, you say. Um, that would be interesting. Uh, if all the plants died, all life would die because the plants are the basis of all life through photosynthesis using CO2. Oh, CO2. You mean CO2 is important for the existence of life? You know, yes, it is. And this is how stupid this debate is, is that they, they are calling the, the, the molecule CO2, which is the basis for all of life, a pollutant, a poison, a toxin, uh, the th a threat to the death of life. And so they've got it bass backwards, as they like to say, uh, yeah. on all counts, every single count especially CO2 and temperature, which seem to me to be key to this discussion. Uh, are there any other two factors which are more key to this discussion than temperature and carbon dioxide? No, that's what it's all about. And they've got it backwards, completely 180 degrees wrong, right? Ring a big bell, wrong. And so that's where I'm at. And I know I'm right. And so do many other people. But it doesn't get through because the doomsday narrative, uh, based on an invisible molecule that is in the air and the water, uh, that nobody can see what it's doing, which is why I called my book Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Because every single scare story, not just the climate one, but the radiation, the GMOs, the polar bears, the coral reefs, are all based on things which are either invisible, like CO2 and radiation, or very remote, like polar bears and coral reefs. That's why they're the icons. 
because no one can go and check out how many polar bears there are. Well, hardly anybody can. And same with the coral reefs. They said 93% of the Great Barrier Reef was dying, was terminal, was in its final terminal stage, as if there are other terminal stages before the final one. And so all these this language is used. They didn't say dead. They didn't say 93% of the Great Barrier Reef is dead. They said it was dying. And dying isn't dead. You're still alive if you're dying. And so that's how they that's how they get away with these things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I actually read I read your book a couple of years ago. And um, since we uh, you did mention the carbon dioxide thing, I remember from their book how you uh, showed the plot of the uh, what, what level of carbon dioxide would plants all die. And that's pretty uh, um, significant just uh, finding because we're actually very close to that level now. And so it sounds like uh, humans producing more carbon dioxide is what's sort of saving, uh, well, saving plants and so all of life. Do you think it's really uh, our contribution that it has been helping? Or uh, what do you think about that? I think that the human uh, emissions of CO2 are replenishing the atmosphere and oceans uh, which were declining in CO2 over the past many, many millions of years. It, it didn't happen overnight. But I, I gave a lecture to the Global Warming Policy Foundation in October of 2015, when I first, with some trepidation, revealed my hypothesis that the reason CO2 had been declining for so long in the global atmosphere was shellfish. Can you imagine that shellfish would be responsible for the death of all life on the earth? But yeah. it's true. They didn't mean to do it any more than we actually meant to replenish the CO2 in the atmosphere in the oceans by burning fossil fuels. We're burning fossil fuels to get energy. We are taking the energy that was fixed in the fossil fuels chemistry by the sun mm. through life. All of the fossil fuels are of life origin. They call them dirty and bad and evil and horrible as if the devil created them. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they were created by life. And... Does do, do is this recognized by by the doomsday prophets? No, they act as though it's some kind of poison that ended up on the earth by mistake, and it's not. It's the remains of living creatures, all of the fossil fuels. The coal is primarily the remains of forests, and all of the other plants and biomass that were in the forests got buried and turned into coal. So coal is terrestrial, but oil and gas are primarily oceanic. They are from the sediments falling to the bottom of the sea of all the creatures, the organic parts of those creatures falling to the bottom of the sea. But there's another thing that fell to the bottom of the sea. And that was when life is, figured out how to make shells hmm. as armor plating. You can imagine a jellyfish. 
when when multicellular life first emerged in the Cambrian explosion of life 550 million years ago or so, it was all like jellyfish. Mm. It was no longer just unicellular. For the first three billion years, life was all one cell in, and invisible because it's so small, microscopic in other words. That was for three billion years. Good things happened during that period. Photosynthesis occurred. Uh, sexual reproduction occur occurred. Uh, chloroplasts and mitochondria, which are inside the in individual cells, occurred. So a number of things occurred, but you couldn't see any of it because it was invisible because they were too small to see with your with eyes. Mm -hmm. And 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 so. In the middle of 500 million years ago, 550 million years ago, the Cambrian explosion of life occurred where multicellular life came into being. Mm. And this was, but it was all really soft. It, it was like jellyfish. And then 50 million years or so later, some of those organisms, many of them in fact, mm. learned how to take carbon dioxide and calcium in the water and make shells. Hmm. Calcium carbonate is the name of the molecule. Mm -hmm. And calcium carbonate is what limestone is and what chalk is. The White Cliffs of Dover are made of calcium carbonate. And that was from the shells of coccolithophores, which are a microscopic form of, of plankton. Mm -hmm. they build armor plating for themselves. Take a clam. If that clam didn't have a shell, how vulnerable would it be to predation compared to with a shell? Yeah, big difference. Then sea otters came, which went down, picked up a rock, picked up a clam, came up and bashed the clam with a rock and ate the insides of it. So it, it didn't work perfect, but it was sure a lot better than being a jellyfish. And, and the, the reason jellyfish survived uh, was because they have stingers and they can hurt you. Like I've been bit twice by Portuguese man of war. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Not a good thing. No. But uh, anyways, these shells all sank to the bottom of the ocean when the creatures died in their lifespan over and over and over and over and over for millions of years. And so all of the limestone, chalk, and marble, and dolomite, which is an another uh, form of calcium carbonate, only it has mang manganese in it as well. Uh, those all took, they sucked the carbon out of the ocean. And that sucked it out of the atmosphere as well. And before you know it, it came to today, where it went from 5,000 parts per million when those creatures e evolved down to 180 and the only reason it went down to 180 was because life sucked it out and deposited it on the bottom of the ocean where it no longer was in the life cycle no longer in the water or the air and so when i what, what i the title of my talk uh, in 2015 was should we celebrate carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and i still believe that that is what we should do that it is something that should be almost worshipped, 
as the basis of all life and that more of it is better because life was fine at 5,000 parts per million and now it's 425 or something. It's sunk down to 180. It is thought that many uh, forms of life died during that most recent glacial maximum in high altitudes because the higher you go up in altitude, the thinner the atmosphere gets. Mm -hmm. And so even though the CO2 is still at the same proportion to the other molecules in the atmosphere at high altitude, there's less of it. And it is believed that uh, whole forests died for lack of CO2 at high altitude during that period 20,000 years ago, uh, which lasted for thousands of years around the 20,000 peak. And so uh, I'm not suggesting we should have the church of CO2 or anything like that, except we should recognize that CO2 is indeed the reason why life exists. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't exist otherwise. And so that's far a far cry from treating it as if it's the devil. Yeah, for sure. It's essential to all all life on earth really. <laughs> so we'll take a, a short break here and uh we'll come back for the rest of the interview and stay tuned. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's Chief Medical Board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and Use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing. Giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years. Brush, floss, repeat. 
We're told to use fluoride, which doesn't really address the acid-creating bacteria. That is where the dentist-recommended Spry Dental Defense System shines. Spry products contain xylitol, a natural sugar, which helps get rid of those nasty, smelly, acid-creating bacteria in our mouth. The best way to care for your teeth and gums is by using Spry. The Spry Dental Defense System has a wide variety of products, toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and chewing gums that are designed to work together to keep your teeth clean and mouth healthy and smelling sweet all day long. To get your oral care back on track in an easy, effective, and very tasty way, switch to Spry today. Ask your dentist about Xylitol and the Spry products. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural product retailers. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Jean Harris, back with Dr. Patrick Moore, talking about temperature records and carbon dioxide throughout Earth's history. So, uh, one thing that I'd like to ask is, what is the why is the meaning of a global average temperature misleading? We often hear that the temperature of the world is some sort of number, but why is this a misleading concept? Well, Mary Jean, the reason it's a misleading concept is, for one thing, the weather stations where the temperature is monitored, are not evenly distributed around the world. Most of them are in the wealthy countries, North America and Europe, uh, and very few of them are on the ocean, which is three quarters of the planet. Um, So you cannot say there is really such a thing as the average temperature of the earth. If if we had a perfectly distributed set of stations, you might be able to do that with a bit more uh, honesty. But the way it is now, that that is the first reason why there is no actual thing as the average temperature of the Earth. There, sure, there is theoretically, but not not in the way we are monitoring it. We're putting most of our weather stations in terrestrial sites but the really big factor is the urban heat island effect and so since we started measuring temperature fairly accurately say a hundred years ago many of the stations where temperature is monitored were rural and have become urban in other words concrete and that mean there's lots of good examples of this of weather stations that were out in the middle of a farm field and now they're on a tarmac in an airport where the jet engines are going off all the time and so we have uh we we, i'm i'm one of about 35 authors uh that is trying to get a paper published in a scientific refereed journal and are having a very difficult time getting it published Uh, The purpose of the paper is to take all the world's weather stations and look at what what it says as the average temperature of the Earth. 
and then to remove all the ones that have become urban that were originally rural. In other words, from farmland to cities with with 30-story buildings in them. There's no doubt about it that the urban heat island effect is real. As much as one or two degrees Celsius increase temperature that would have been there if it had still been farmland. And we cannot get that paper published uh, because it doesn't meet their standards. It was the latest one. I wrote back asking, do you have a list of your standards? No, no reply. They don't actually have standards that can be listed. They just say it doesn't meet our standards. In other words, get out of here, you know, go away. And so that's where we're at with this paper. But we show in this paper that instead of one degree increase in global temperature since 1600 or so, it's actually half a degree. It's not one degree. It's half of that because the urban heat island effect has affected the temperature in cities because they're made of concrete and they they absorb heat more. So yes, we could say rather than CO2 being the problem, it's actually cement. <laughs> it's funny though, because cement is made with carbon dioxide because uh, it's the shells of ancient creatures. And so it, it it's all tied together in that sense. But it's not funny because we should be able to surely get a paper published in which we have the whole world's record that is all understood by everybody to be the record of global temperature. And we're showing if you pull the urban heat island effect out of it, it's only warmed up half as much as they are actually claiming it has. And uh, there you go. So uh, the, the other thing, though, is that they're, they're only really interested in since 1850, uh, which is when, uh, well, actually, thermometers were invented long before that. But th they're not worried about the time between 1600 when thermometers were invented in England. They're only worried about when fossil fuels started to be used, so around 1850. So they take that as the benchmark as to where the modern era began if you want to look at it that way. And they're saying that we are responsible for one degree of warming, when in fact it's only half a degree that we're supposedly responsible for, when in fact this is the modern warm period that, that followed the little ice age, that followed the medieval warm period, that followed the dark ages, which were a cold period, which followed the Roman warm period, which followed the cold period before that, which the Minoan warm period, we know these 500 year cycles exist in our, in the history of climate. And they, they just ignore that. They say this particular bit of warming is caused only by us and had nothing to do with the cycles of warming and cooling that have been occurring for at least the last 6,000 years. Right. And these cycles are, I believe, due to the sun, right? Well, certainly, certainly the fact that the Earth is warmer than absolute zero, which is <clears throat> minus 
279 degrees Celsius, I believe. Um, the, 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 the reason the earth is habitable and water is liquid rather than being all solid, as in ice, is because of the sun, clearly. There's, it's the only reason why the earth is warm enough for life to exist is the sun. Yeah. And so, uh, and sun worship was a popular um, thing in, in the past. I mean, people actually recognized that the sun was the giver of life. They didn't know what CO2 was back then because mm -hmm. it's invisible. And it yeah. took chemistry to figure that out. Uh, and that didn't start happening in, in a big way until the 1800s. There was some chemistry before that, of course, but you go back, you don't have to go back very far to where uh, chemistry was uh, more or less, uh, what, what's the, <clears throat> the word for uh, fake chemistry? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. It starts with A. Alchemy? Yes, alchemy. Yes. <laughs> and so alchemy was not accurate. In, in in some ways it was a little bit accurate but it wasn't really knowing exactly what atoms and molecules were involved in the, the, the history of the earth and the daily daily affairs of the climate now we have a pretty good idea about all that and mm. and, uh, and and we we do know uh the history of the climate going back a long way and the climate catastrophists simply ignore it that that's one of the problems is they 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 just ignore most of the actual knowledge there is about yeah. about the Earth's climate. And they don't want to talk about it. As soon as you bring up something that doesn't fit with their narrative, as it's called, uh, then you're a denier. And so it's sort of like uh, burning witches without actually setting them on fire. Uh, they degrade and denigrate people who actually are looking for the factual uh, aspects of this situation called the global climate. And it, and so it's, it's not much fun to be called a denier, especially when <clears throat> they're attempting to associate you with Holocaust deniers, which is where that term came from in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we are not denying the holocaust we are denying the lies and so that's not really denial that's sort of like truth and mm -hmm. the truth is that carbon dioxide is at one of the lowest levels it's ever been in the history of the world even today with us having added a bunch of it back mm -hmm. but during the most recent glacial maximum twenty thousand years ago it did descend to the lowest it's ever been in the history of the earth since 4.6 billion years ago. It went down to 180 parts per million. We know this from the Vostok ice cores. That the, the, one of the interesting things is, is that the, the three previous glaciation periods and interglacial periods were warmer than this one. We, we know that. So they know that too. It's anybody can find find it on the internet that the Emian, which was 
the glacial interglacial period before this Holocene interglacial period was warmer than this one. Yeah. And and I don't know how uh, anybody can deny that because it's there in in research and in measurement. But they yeah. just don't talk about it. They just say this is the warmest period in the history of the universe or whatever and get away yeah. with it. Yeah, and uh, just speaking about the uh, temperature records, how accurate is our are the temperature records that we have? Are we able to get like how um like what, how uh, accurate? I guess would let's say we said the temperature in fifty thousand years ago is this amount. Like, what are how uh, accurate can we can we say that? We can say it with considerable accuracy because of the isotopes molecules that are embedded in air bubbles in ice from cores from antarctica that's the short term one that goes back 800,000 years but mm. then there's the marine sediments in 1958 was the year of the geophysical it was called a geophysical year and during that period many countries cooperated in sending ships out to drill cores of ocean sediment down where they knew that that sediment had been being deposited fairly steadily for millions and millions of years. And mm -hmm. some of those go back half a billion years. Uh, they, they, they are able to look at isotopes and an isotope is usually they're looking at something that has a long life that is radioactive. And one you know the atomic clock is based on radioactive isotopes and they are perfect the, the decay rate of radioactive compounds is steady and perfect it never varies mm -hmm. so it is an incredibly accurate measurement and we can use those that knowledge from 1958 and and beyond uh, but that was when we uh, the first real global program began to look at marine sediment analysis of isotopes to show the temperature and other factors going back millions of years, many millions of years. And so we have that. and but no one's paying any attention to it uh, other because it defeats the purpose entirely of saying that we're all going to die from carbon dioxide. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that we are in a cold period now called the Pleistocene Ice Age. I mean, please, whoever out there can deny that, let me know that this is not the Pleistocene Ice Age, which is one of the colder periods that's existed in the last billion years. There's mm -hmm. been, during the last billion years, there's been approximately four ice ages. This is the shortest one so far but we don't know how much longer it's going to last. Mm -hmm. uh, it appears maybe just beginning. It's just beginning because the, the, the most recent one, the Karoo lasted a hundred million years. This one's only 2.6 million years. So it could last for another 90 million years. Mm -hmm. We just don't know because predictions are difficult, especially about the future. And so we, but they, they have actually the, the, the there's a, a group called the International uh, 
I think, commission on stratigraphy and stratification of the Earth's layers. That's where stratigraphy comes from. So they look at they look at the layers of of time through drilling through rocks or through sediments. So that's all very proper. Um, but they this group this this committee that no one knows the names of them or where they are or anything. But there is this committee, and they have decided that the Pleistocene has ended. And the way they did that was the Pleistocene is an epoch or epoch, E-P-O-C-H. It's, that's the category of time it is. And so they have said that now they're saying the Holocene interglacial period is also an epoch. In other words, the Pleistocene has ended. But the Holocene interglacial period is just a garden variety interglacial period like all the other 40 of them have been through the history of the Pleistocene. So by making by, by making the Holocene not just an interglacial period, but an epoch, they have declared that the Pleistocene Ice Age is over. Uh, yeah. And now, now they want, now the, the lobbyists on this issue want the International Panel on Epochs to, on stratigraphy, to declare the Holocene is over, and now we are in the Anthropocene, the age of humans. Mm-hmm. And they want that to start in 1950. Mm-hmm. So that now we have, but, but this has not happened because it, everybody knows that's really, really stupid. Mm-hmm. And it, But it's not much more stupid than declaring the Holocene interglacial period over and, and making it into an epoch like mm-hmm. the Pleistocene Ice Age is. And so they have manufactured this, yet nowhere in the website or the minutes or the or the documentation of the International Commi- Commission on Stratigraphy, nowhere is any mention made of how this decision was taken, of when it was taken. There is no record of how the Holocene was declared an epoch rather than a garden variety interglacial period, which is what it really is. It's no different than the Eemian and the other ones before it. They all occurred in nice patterns, and and this is just like them, but they're pretending that this is something different, mm-hmm. and, and, and that now we have entered an entirely new age, and we're not in the place to see an ice age anymore even though the ice is still covering both poles. That's why it's called an ice age, is because of all the ice. But uh, they're pretending the ice is going away. It hasn't gone away, but it is going to go away. Predictions are difficult, especially about the future. So that's what this whole thing is about, is pretending you know the future and then making up a story about it that is catastrophic Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i think this has probably been happening for quite some time in the history of human scare stories and doomsday predictions and Mm -hmm. one one reason i'm quite certain that the the this doomsday prediction is not uh going to come true is that none of the others have either 
no doomsday prediction has ever come true you know in the history of the doomsday predictors and you know there's this little old guy on a on, on a box in in Hyde Park in 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 London standing there and predicting the the doom of of all civilization and the earth and they just can't seem to make it happen mm. and and why should why should we believe that it's going to happen now after all these how many doomsday predictions have there been in the history of civilization so it's it's a scare story uh which phony people use to get control and we shouldn't let the phony people get control because they are phony they have no business declaring doomsday they have no right to it at all and yet people fall for it and start defacing statues and paintings and 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 causing difficulty to other people who are trying to get to work in their cars uh it should the police should stop it right the police have suddenly been disarmed for some reason you can burn a building down now and not be arrested you can loot stores in the name of whatever are those people who are looting the stores in new york and and and, and san francisco are is is climate change their issue no it shouldn't <laughs> yeah it's uh, crazy how that happens it is but it's happening it's, yeah yeah for sure well, uh, we're uh, going to need to wrap up now. So did you have any uh, last comments to make, maybe about uh, something that we talked about or anything new? I would just ask people, as you have done, to read my book, because it's got way more in it than one can talk about in an hour or two. Uh, it covers lots of important issues. Its main theme is that all the scare stories are based on things that are either invisible or remote so that you can't check it for themselves. And the basis of science is observation. If you can't see it or observe, if you can't observe it, you can't talk about it. You can't pretend you know something that you've never seen. Mm -hmm. You have to see it, that's called observation. And if you can't see it, like CO2, you can't see it, it's easy to make up a scare story about it because you can't, nobody can see or test it. The next point after observation, is verification, where you do the same thing over and over and over again, trying to make sure that the other variables are not influencing the cause-effect relationship you're trying to find. And once you're satisfied that, yes, this is truly a cause-effect relationship that I have discovered, you go to replication, which is putting it out into the world and having other people see if they can repeat what you did. And if they can, you have a theory. It's as simple as that. But the scaremongers and the doomsday experts are taking advantage of the fact that people can't see carbon dioxide. They can't see radiation. They can't see what the bad thing in GMOs is, which actually doesn't even exist. At least radiation and carbon dioxide are real things. The bad thing in GMOs doesn't have a name. Everything has a name like carbon dioxide, for example. So the bad thing in GMOs simply doesn't exist. It is fake. And yet they've made a multi-billion dollar fundraising program and screwed up agriculture all around the world, which could have been much more advanced if people would 
use the techniques of genetic modification because we're all genetically modified. None of us are identical to our parents. Every single sexually produced organism, including humans, are genetically modified. And, and, and yet they're using this term as if it's the devil. And it's not. It's just genetics. So there, that's my final point. Fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom. Available as Kindle, softcover, hardcover, and audiobook. Yes, Everything. I, would, I definitely recommend it. There's a lot of really uh, really fascinating topics uh, you bring up in there, and especially the part on carbon dioxide and temperature and just the history of the Earth's climate. I found very fascinating, and we got a preview of that on this interview. That's it. Well, thanks so much for uh, being on with us again. And this is Mary Jean Harris signing out of The Other Side of the Story. Mm-hmm.